Hi everyone, I'm David Green, Managing Partner for the Insight 222 People Analytics Program. Welcome to Episode 3 of Series 15 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. By 2025, 50% of all employees will need to be reskilled, according to the World Economic Forum's Future of Jobs 2020 research. The same study predicts 97 million new jobs will emerge, and 85 million will be displaced by a shift in labour between humans and machines. Most commentators believe that the pandemic has only accelerated this progress. It is not surprising, therefore, that skill availability is high on the CEO's agenda. Recent research by McKinsey highlights that 79% of CEOs are concerned about skill availability impacting innovation, cost, quality and growth. My guest on this week's podcast is Rick van Ektord, the founder and CEO at AG5. Through their software, AG5's mission is simple to visualise and close skills gaps. Rick and his team do this by essentially providing an accounting system for skills, which aggregates data from multiple systems, maps current skills, tracks progress towards learning new skills, and identifies the missing skills needed to future-proof the organisation. In our conversation, Rick and I discuss the challenges involved in getting a handle on skills data. We look at the value of measuring skills data and how companies should approach it. We discuss how having a skills-based view provides multiple benefits. And we look at how AG5 helps clients visualize and close skills gaps. This episode is a must-listen for anyone interested or involved in creating a workforce planning, learning, and recruiting tool. So that's CHROs and anyone in a people analytics, learning, workforce planning, talent acquisition, or HR business partner role. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by AG5. AG5 helps clients visualize and close their skills gaps. But how? By clearly mapping their workforce's current skills and tracking progress against business requirements to get their organization ready for the future and stay compliant. With AG5 skills intelligence software, you can create clear cross-company skills matrices and dashboards within a centralized skills hub, integrating data from other HR and learning tools. Moving away from unmanageable spreadsheets, AG5 provides clear, concise, and audit-proof skills matrices that make workforce management easy and convenient. To learn more, visit ag5.com. That's letter A, letter G, 5.com. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Rick van Elktort, uh, founder and CEO at AG5 to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Welcome to the show, Rick. It's great to have you on the show. Uh, can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to you and AG5? Yes, of course. Um, yeah, My name is uh, Rick van Echtelt. Uh, I live in Muiderberg. That's a little village near Amsterdam. I'm the father of two children and um, I'm the CEO and co-founder of AG5. And with AG5, we build and sell um, skills intelligence software. And a few years ago, we did this especially for the SMB market, the small mid-sized market. But the last few years, more and more, our software is more and more used on a global scale, it's global enterprises. Um, we have two offices, one in Amsterdam, one in Berlin. And it's around 25 people. Great. And... I think you gave a hint on the next question I'm going to ask in, in your introduction there. What challenges are you trying to solve for, for customers at, at AG5? 
I always say to our employees, our mission is very simple. It's visualizing skills gaps and showing them the actions to close. So this sounds simple, but uh, the challenge is that yeah, skills data is most of the time in different systems. So it's not only in Excel, but also in some part is in, in an HR system or an e-learning system. And the other challenging thing is that the requirements that, uh, that people have uh, are getting more and more complicated, the requirements on skills. So to make a match between requirements and different skills, uh, and to visualize then that gap, because you need a gap if you uh, uh, want to visualize that. Um, and to show, let's say, the team leaders really 100% accurate data, that they really trust the data that they see. That That is our challenge. And I guess at the moment, I mean, skill seems to be it, it, not just for, for those of us that work in HR, actually for the CEO, it's, it's a kind of a top, top three challenge isn't it you know you know even before the pandemic arguably it's even more uh, of an issue now but the uh, the pace of change uh, the world economic forum for it to the fourth industrial revolution i think now i can't remember the exact stats from the world economic forum but they've said by 2025 there'll be over 90 million new jobs created and 80 million or so will disappear due to automation it's huge isn't it at the moment um, and I think it's particularly interesting in the primary industry that, that you serve uh, with AGVI, with the manufacturing industry. It'd be great to understand a little bit that, about that unique setting uh, for manufacturing companies and, and the research that you've done to help understand their challenges and solve some of the problems that you've already ha- sort of highlighted in so far. Yeah. yeah, when we started, let's say 10 years ago, we, we started first in, by the firefighters and, and, and we wanted to move ahead to the manufacturers and we first had this nice L&D system but talking to manufacturers we found out you know that there wasn't a real good match and but they asked us hey can you help us with a skills matricy and we were thinking okay yeah that's it's not that difficult I mean it, that's two axes and, and plot a gap and we start asking them okay send us your Excel and we will have a look at it and then the first factory that came in was like 300 people, but they had in this Excel around 10,000 skills results. So that's more than 30, 40 skills per person. And we think, oh my God, this, this is a lot. And um, we went further and did some more research and we asked more manufacturers, hey, what are you doing with these skills matrices? And why are you doing this in Excel? And why is this so much data? So I think we got around 10, 15 of these different Excels from different companies. And what we found out, they were all really different, really complicated, a lot of data in it. It was like that maybe yeah, people were really programming it. And, and we were thinking, this is interesting because why are they doing this? I mean, they have an LMS system. They have sub-success factors. They have e-learning systems they have all the systems in place and still they are doing this in excel and what we found out was that um, in all those systems the the e-learning system lms systems you can really say for example if you are an operator you can say in that system okay an operator needs this this and this and this skill to do the job but now this operator walks into the factory and when he works on line number one he needs to have different skills than, for example, on line number 10. So 
the environment where he works decides what skills he needs. And this can be very complicated or sophisticated because then it is, for example, okay, if you're an operator, you're on line one, section two, you need these skills from this system, this job skills, and those e-learnings. And this is what they did. They put, it was kind of yeah, Excel where they put all these requirements and skills in, and then they start using this. I asked, yeah, where do you use? I've, my opinion was they use it for L&D, for you know, learning and development. But that was not that was one part. But they also use this very much for auditors. There are uh, many times uh, manufacturers are audited, and they have to show the auditors how well the staff is trained. Also, they used it for uh, planning. So someone is sick as uh, in the team. Okay, who can work online one and has the right skills? Uh, it was also then using for for development. And the strange thing was, it was most of the time it was just one guy who was responsible for this Excel, and no one could touch it because he put in the formulas, and it came bigger and bigger. And then, you know, <laughs> if the management needs reports, they went to this guy, and and so yeah, you can feel that this was not this was the start that we say, okay, we have to solve this problem, and really start from scratch, and start making a system where you can produce skills matrices at scale, but also put all those requirements in and make sure that you can visualize this data. So that's how we came in. And a kind of high-risk strategy is having one person in the, in the, in the uh, operation that, that actually understands the, 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 the Excel spreadsheet that they've created. Yeah. And they always love it in the beginning, but they start... After a while, because it's getting more and more complicated, they start even to hate their own Excel, you know, because they're responsible and management is still, okay, can I have this report, this report. So in the beginning, they like it, but they are very happy if they see us. Then they know I can get rid of my uh, Excels and my spreadsheets. And I think for what you said there, Rick, I think you've really honed in on why skills is such a complex topic. Um, you're not just using that data for learning and development. You're not just using that data to support workforce planning. Or in you know example you gave there, you're not just you know using that data just to, to to provide information to auditors. Which I can leads to the next question. I think you know why you know obviously you've been working in this area for ten years, and and, and arguably skills has become even more of a, a, a hot topic. Why do you think skills are such a hot topic today? Yeah, if you look at just globally, I mean. Every industry is impacted by technology, you see. Um, so people are really thinking about, okay, the current job that I have right now, is this, you know, is this still the same job that it will be in 10 years or does it still exist and, and what skills do I need? So on the one hand, you see a lot of new jobs, eh? uh, uh, new jobs come on the market with new skills. And on the other hand, we see a lot of old jobs are yeah, disappearing in the next five, six years. So um, if you look at, at this, this, this mismatch between the markets, you know, then that, that people have to do something. And if I look, for example, in my, uh, and I think it's already going on and just in day to day with recruiters, or if, even if I look at my own company, we had to find a new customer success uh, manager. And uh, we had around, I think, 200 applicants uh, coming in. And then 
yeah, how do you shift? And the first thing that we did was on skills. Let's see, okay, uh, how many languages do they speak? That was the first shift. Okay, what was the second shift? Okay, what, what kind of technologies do they use? Uh, we want to have someone expert on Excel. So, And then we found someone, and she came from a totally different industry. She came from the traveling industry, and she was working at a traveling shop. And yeah, that industry is being disrupted. And was I searching for someone who has a job as a traveling agent? Not. Was I searching for someone who speaks a lot of languages and understands some technology and can deal with customers? And yes, I was. So I think it's already starting that that is that all the resumes are changing already and uh, it will even go faster. So yeah, I understand why it's such a hot, yeah, hot topic. Yeah, I, th- I think as you say, we we. we... We talked about the World Economic Forum data earlier. It's yeah. a, just a huge, huge change. And it's um, new entrants, it's, it's new technologies, but that's allowing new entrants to come into markets and challenge the existing companies that are there. Uh, and suddenly, if you're looking for, I don't know, digital skills, you're not just competing with your traditional competitors, you're competing with other people that want those digital skills as well. So it's, yeah. it's a very complex topic. Um, I'd be interested in, in the, the next... Um, Sort of question, who in your view owns skills in the organization? First of all, I think you as a person, as an employee, of course, own your own skills. I mean, you're responsible for your own career. But um, in the organization, the organization needs to support the employee with just, you know, that he can see what skills he has right now and where he can grow to. And um, many companies still cannot offer that just to their employees, what skill do we have? Because it's in such different systems. And L&D is, I would say, responsible of getting that data together and show employees what data they have. And also which data, and that can be complicated, which data is valid. I mean, what what, what, what is okay and what huh? what is your swimming degree? Does that be, yeah, that is uh, uh, maybe not a good example, but, um, so what we see is it's not only L&D who can provide the, the, the skills, but also the business. They have to say, what, is, what do we need? L&D needs to know what kind of skills are, are necessary for our company. And for example, it's not only manufacturers, but also we have customers like IT companies. The L&D people say, okay, we have to need programmers, but the business says, let's say we have a customer who is selling uh, H. Uh, Hewlett Packard, Dell, and they need to have a status, for example, a global uh, gold status, because otherwise they cannot do tenders. But to the requirements of a global gold status means that you need 20 people on this scale, 30 people on that scale, 40 people on that scale. So what you see is that L&D needs to know what are requirements from the business or what are the goals from the business and where do we want to go because it really impacts the business if you don't have that correct. And uh, based on that, they can set a program and planning for the employee and the employee can see, okay, for me, it's better if I would go in that direction because that's where the company needs me instead of in that direction. So, um, yeah, who's owning it? I think, of course, the employee L&D is very important, but they need to get the input from, from the business. And it's nice, I think, for L&D in, 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 because they, they get a, yeah, the, the on table with the management there. I think it becomes really important, this topic. What is the skills gap and where it's going? Yeah, as you said, that ability to help employees understand that 
how their skills fit in with the organization, what additional skills that if they acquire can really help develop their career, maybe earn more money, frankly, within within an organization. And then, as you said, aligning that to what the business needs are. So continue understanding if I'm if I've got six key skills, but I need if I really want to grow my career in a company is these seven, eight, nine skills that I need to need to get, actually visualizing that for the employee, but also for the organization as well, which I guess is what what you do. You provide the glue that kind of links all those elements together. Um, so I think that 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 then leads to quite an interesting conversation for us about skills based workforce planning, which is certainly something in the research we've done at Insight 222 that we see more and more organizations want to do. Um, there's more organizations that want to do it than they're actually doing it at the moment, which is quite interesting. And, and having that skill-based view of the workforce, um, we hear a lot about talent marketplaces and how skills can effectively, the data that helps support that. Uh, we hear a lot about internal mobility. I don't think it's just a, a something that's, that, that's from the pandemic. I think a lot of organizations now are wanting to develop their own talent, not just to retain it, but also to develop it and keep some of those key skills that they need within the organization as well. Um, we spoke recently on the podcast with Unilever and the work they've done in this space, for example. Um, but here we're faced with a, a, a different and, and potentially more critical reason for a skill-based view, compliance and business continuity. You know, What are your thoughts on skills-based talent management for compliance versus talent marketplace and internal mobility and and what can other um, companies learn from organizations that have to take this view for for compliance reasons yes I've, i think it's a very good trend that we see is the talent marketplaces i mean um, if you look at, at big companies they especially if you look at people who work for example in the offices um, there are big projects going on they are working globally and there's a new project that they can post on, on these uh, talent marketplaces and people can react to that. And, you, you know, you get a really nice uh, matches between supply and demand. I think that that is really great what's happening there. Um, on the other hand, I think what, what the next step will be, because this is more the project is coming and you need people. I think what the next step will be is that skills will be aligned more with impact and what i mean with that is some skills can impact for example turnover or some skills can impact on um, reduced cost or risks or some skills will impact on safety and let me give you an example um, let's say you work at an international company and they do a marketing campaign and um, the woman uh, who would do the, let's say, the campaign on the website to produce it, she makes a mistake because she was not that good in WordPress. The manager sees it. Okay, she made that mistake. She was not that good. Um, um, did it impact the the, the 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 business? Probably not. And so she is not that good in her skill, but it did not impact the turnover or there were no risk or on that side. But if you go, for example, in that same company and they do also some production and there was someone who was, let's say they produce an ice cream and uh, he was putting the wrong, he was not that experienced, he was the youngest in the team and he has to mix some cacao. He did not five kilo, but he did six kilo. Now look at what happens at 
turnover, the impact of that skill. The turnover, oh my God, you know, this production line was running. Maybe it was already sent out. Then you have to do this callback. There's some money involved. Or what I see a lot of times then, if there are mistakes, then, you know, they have to stop the production, get everything off, clean everything, make it a new. So the production is closed for one, two hours. So there's a lot of cost and risk involved there. Or maybe he put something wrong in it, so then it's safety. So what you will see, I think, yes, the marketplaces will be very good for projects and, and skills matching. But I think there is still a lot of skills are treated equally. And I think we will see that there will be more and more we will go to reports on how important are the different skills and what is the relevance and how does it impact certain skills, our business and the continuity. So I think that that, that will be next steps that we will see. That, that, that's, that's a really interesting um, uh, idea. I think that, you know, we'll see, you know, an interesting evolution of it as well. And again, we always talk about with clients, uh, with the people we work with around people analytics, it's all about tying the work to, to the impact on the business. So this is a perfect example of that, you know, maybe focusing more on the skills that, the skills that matter and actually have an impact on the on business continuity and, and, and everything else. Yeah, very, very interesting. So I think we've got an idea about some of the answers to the next question. It is very complex. I mean, obviously, you, you AG Vibe, you're, you're hoping to solve a complex challenge for your, for your clients. Why do you think organizations are, are struggling to get a handle on, on skills data? Yeah, of course, it's what I said. It's, it's, it's in different systems, so it's, it's difficult to get at that. And what you see is a lot of companies, they talk about skills currency. So they say this is the new currency. But the problem of this currency, it's, in diff- it's, it's not that you can grab it from one system. It's in different places. So how... Then my question is, if I hear currency, is currency, there's always, you know, then you have a kind of, you need a kind of accounting system to to make sure that everything goes well. If you have a company without a, a, a with, with turnover, but no accounting system, that doesn't go right. So what you see is you have these different systems where the skills in is, this currency, on the one hand. On the other hand, you have the demand from the business, the requirements. So you need a, a you need a system where uh, and I call this an accounting system, skills accounting system, where you can really see what is the gap. Let's say the losses is the gap growing or is it going down? And if it's growing, your losses are growing. Is it increasing? Okay, your turnover get better. Um, but also, what is the stock? So how much do we have of this currency in this place? So you need need to need yeah get grip on it and that you can make forecast and if you can forecast and you can see every day where you're standing you know then 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 you can make next step but it's it's difficult for companies where to start with this you know where do you start and the currency that you get is that valid is that uh, so what currency do we take what don't we don't take so it's 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 yeah, you have to take some steps on this. So that's why I think companies are struggling with it because it's not that you do tomorrow. It's a long-term investment, isn't it? And, and you know, obviously you've been working with companies for 10 years here. And, you know, what are some of the outcomes that you can get, uh, business outcomes that you can get if you do get a handle on a skills-based view of the workforce? Uh, let me give an example. We started, uh, I think, four years ago with, a, with, a, with an airplane company. They... Um, on the one hand, they have passengers, and on the other hand, they have cargo. And 
Chicago is was not that important for them. They have around three, four thousand people working there. But when we came there, there were like twelve to fourteen people who were daily working on the skills. And I think, why is that? It's difficult because these, if you have, for example, an airplane, there you put in live horses or live animals. That's different than, for example, dangerous goods. So they had a lot of different requirements on the different workplaces and the skills was a lot of different systems so what we start doing there we had this discussion let's make it intelligent skills intelligent what does that mean and what is your vision we asked them and step by step uh, we first stepped was okay let's take all your employee data from your uh, hr that was sub okay we take all the data in the system and we put all the requirements per workplace. So we went out there and put all the requirements in. And then we said, okay, we have now the requirements in place. Let's see where that scales data comes from now. And then we started for us. One example is very simple. We started with Moodle. This is a free open source and they did some safety training in that. So we connect the Moodle to our system. Second was, okay, let's take the safety training. They are in Cornerstone. Okay, we take all the Cornerstone, the safety training. And that went further. We went to, um, they had a system called Drillster. So that is a system, micro-learning. So a lot of employees need to. And then the next step was uh, iAuditor. That was a system on the, on the work. So we had like four or five of these systems getting the data in. And then it started working for them because the data came accurate. So there were a lot, um, yeah, many uh, um, dashboards were created, like I think 200 dashboards all around the globe with all the requirements from the globe. And what they found out was that it saved them one hundreds of hours per month. There was less mistakes in it. So their approach was step by step, but they got into control. And, they, and then I call it the accounting system. You know, they could really see what is it the moment right now? Where do we go to? What is the next step? And they could really put it in the organization. And airlines, of course, operate on pretty fine margins. So that, those sort of efficiencies are, are really important to the, the health of the business at the end of the day. Yeah. And what was nice, of course, of COVID, eh? they had the, uh, a lot of, People who work in passenger, they said, okay, they are on the payroll and we have a lot of temporary people with cargo. So let's do some reskilling and put people from passengers to cargo and everything was automated. So they were so happy that they could do it on a large scale, do this whole up and reskilling and that the data was still accurate, you know, that because it's a lot of compliance involved and they need to be sure that this goes correct. Yeah, and a good story there of... Uh... You know that kind of using that skills data, as you said, to to redeploy people. You know, which okay, the crisis was the crisis, but that could happen in that could happen in everyday life as well, couldn't it? You know, depending on demand, you know, from the business and different industries. You know, the ability to redeploy people by using skills data and supplement that with with any uh, additional learning that you might want to do as well. So. Um, great. Well, Rick, we're coming to the the end of our conversation, unfortunately, but. Um, this is a question that we're asking everyone on this series, and it probably, um, you know, you've covered quite a lot of this already in your in, a, in our conversation. So this could be an opportunity to kind of provide some concluding thoughts or key advice or key takeaways for listeners. You know, what is the value of, of measuring skills data and, and how should companies approach it? I think the approach is um, always 
like many software uh, projects, start small. Start where the pain is, where people really feel the pain, uh, because then you get fast results. Um, so where's the pain? Start small, get results, and then spread it out uh, around the, the, the company. And if you do that, you will, and you get these results, the feeling that our customers have is that they finally get in control of the data. So put the manual work out. Get the guys who run this now. It's most of the time, it's only two, three, four people at different locations are responsible. So if you take these steps, you will see it's not the responsibility anymore for one or two people, but you can really get your data to the team leaders and people really feel that they become responsible for the skills for the team and employees. They are so happy when they see the first time this app and they work already 20 years at this company. And this is the first time that they see their skills data and they see some certificates. They think, oh, yeah, that's great. So, and sometimes L&D managers are a little bit afraid of this rollout because, yeah, how will people react? Is it like monitoring? No, people are really happy. Even if they work 25 years, that they can really see what is all, yeah, what, what, what skills did I, did I achieve in the last 10, 15 years at this company. So it's really like a recognition of this engineer or this it -er or someone who works there. So I would say start small, do it, and you will feel very quickly the, yeah, the, the, the time that it saves you, but also the great benefits of reporting and getting everyone involved. And also it's about getting that data out to, as you said, to, to, to managers, to team leaders, in a in a in a visual way and in a usable way, so they can actually do something with it. And I guess that's the difference between getting that skills data out there versus having it hidden away in an Excel spreadsheet. Rick, it's been wonderful to talk to you and learn more about the work you're doing at AG Five. Thanks for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media, and also find out more about the work you do at AG5? Yes, of course. I'm on LinkedIn, so people can find me there um, and can reach out to me um, and also go to our website and you can find all the information about skills intelligence software at www.ag5.com. Um, yeah, and I lo would love to speak to them. Brilliant. Well, Rick, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Okay, thank you, David. Welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show in your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week, where we'll be speaking to Joanne Kuipers about the approach the Tata Steel Academy takes to reskilling and upskilling. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.